Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In this episode, author Reggie McNeil explores what it meant when Jesus established the church in commissioning his disciples. What we think of as the church is very different from what Jesus had in mind when he demonstrated the kingdom of God to his disciples and asked them to do the same for others. The early church got it, where often the modern church does not. Hello, this is Glenn Barth. I'm the president of Good Cities, and I'm pleased to have with me my colleague and friend, Reggie McNeil, today. And uh, Reggie and I are talking about the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven is meant to be manifest on earth by God's people. And, uh, and we're kind of going back in history a little bit. We're going to take a look today at the apostolic church and what happened for those early followers of Jesus uh, as they understood the kingdom and were trying to put it into practice in uh, the very earliest days. of. Well, Reggie, uh, as we left off in our last podcast, you were talking a little bit about how Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to uh, Peter and, and to the other disciples and, uh, and how the keys were really uh, a symbol of the fact that they had come to understand what the kingdom of heaven was really about, that Jesus is right at the center of it, and, uh, and that uh, they, they were going to build then, they were charged by Jesus to build the ecclesia, the church, on the basis of the kingdom. Pick it up from there, yeah. if you would, Reggie. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, Glenn, what's so fascinating, I, I spent most of my life, and maybe a lot of listeners did, thinking that Jesus came to establish the church, and that was his big deal, uh, when, in fact, Jesus came to demonstrate the kingdom, to teach us about the kingdom, because over 90 times, he, you know, he talks about kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and, and he says to us, seek first the kingdom. He doesn't say seek first the church. And he says, uh, and, you know, be, it's okay, little flock. It's my father's good pleasure, what, to give you the church? No, to give you the kingdom. Jesus came with one job, one thing in mind. He lived the kingdom. He invited us into kingdom life, and he taught us to pray that the kingdom would come. He didn't teach us to pray that church come. He taught us to pray your kingdom come on earth right here as it is in heaven. So the kingdom is not a future reality that is, I mean, it is a future reality. It is not only a future reality that we hope to, you know, experience one day if we've got our, uh, you know, life insurance all squared away and, and all that. No, it is a reality that God is at work in, has been from the beginning, has never departed from, and if we just learn to look for it, can see it going on all the time. Now, when Jesus established the church, he did that completely with his kingdom mission in mind. As you said, he, 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 was, he was giving. In, in fact, uh, I know we talked about this in the last podcast, but maybe people didn't listen to that. So let me just say the key, when Jesus uses that word, it's not an lock or unlock um, implement like we have today. Uh, it's, it's, um, that was a rabbinical term for a rabbi is being able to pass along to his student when he felt like the student got his teaching, the rabbi would confer upon his, kind of like a graduation ceremony, really, and almost like school colors. I mean, like he, we, he would confer that degree, his degree, his key on his disciples so that 
a, a, a student of Hillel or Gamaliel or Shema, whatever school that that the, the you were a part of, your rabbinical school, you would know that by viewing the key. So Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. The only time church comes up, by the way, in the Gospels, and it's it, it's it's one time event. It's reported twice, but it's a one time event where he uses the word church, and he's and it's after Peter has said, "You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God," you know, and Jesus says, "Yo, you you got it now. That's it. That's the right answer. That's who I am. So I'm going to give you my key, and uh, and it's the key of the kingdom, which means that when people come up against a uh, a follower of Rabbi Jesus. Our insignia is supposed to be the key of the kingdom. It's supposed to be the kingdom, life as God intends for people. Not a church invitation. I'm not against that, but it's way more than, well, great, now you can be a part of my church or my you know, club or whatever. No, it's you, you are now a co-conspirator with God on his kingdom ministry. And so let's figure out how to do that together. Now, the church, that word ecclesia, is, of course, we've been taught forever. It's the called out. Well, called out to do what? That was not a – Jesus didn't invent a word to to, uh, to establish the church. I mean, it, it's not that big a deal. In the first century, the, the ecclesia was the group of folks that were called out from a particular community. They typically were elders, uh, and they had the uh, the assignment of looking after the welfare of the city. It's kind of like they would meet and decide on, you know, what went down, what went up, you know, when the city gates are open, when they're closed, what's good for the city, what's not good for the city. In other words, they they didn't meet to talk about themselves. Boy, we had a great ecclesia meeting today. Uh, you know, boy, <laughs> I mean, wait, wait, wait till we wait till we get this six point, you know, uh, six week ecclesia thing going. Are you kidding? They meant for one purpose, and that was to look after the community. And so Jesus is saying, I want you guys and those who follow you to be looking after the welfare of the sea. I mean, this is like Jeremiah, right? I mean, you know, seek the welfare of the sea, mm-hmm. pray for it. I mean, work mm-hmm. for it. And so, I mean, this is a message that is all the way through. Jesus clearly casts his vote on the side of the prophetic, uh, you know, of, of uh, inclusivity and, and uh, you know, not, not the exclusiveness of the Pharisees, and the pull back in and the refuge uh, approach, but clearly on the missional side of stuff, you know, let's go get them. Let's make sure people have life. Let's let's always be looking after the welfare of the community. That's why. So, so if, Reggie, are you yeah. say, are you saying then that uh, that people in that time clearly saw themselves as people who have been blessed with the presence of Jesus, the Anointed One, the Messiah? And uh, and and they they really sensed that they were called to be a blessing to others, not just inside Absolutely. their little fellowship, but to the right. whole city. Is that right? Absolutely. In fact, I mean, this is historic. I mean, all you have to do just look at the history of the early church. Why did the church grow like crazy? Why did it stay a, a movement for centuries after, for several centuries, uh, and, and didn't lose power until it, you know? calcified and took on, you know, uh, but it's because those early believers, I mean, was it Stark who who did the stuff about the fact that, you know, there were two things that early uh, Christians did that were so instrumental in propelling them into 
their uh, their hegemony in the Roman Empire. One, and by the way, I not only did I read it in Stark, I heard this from a, a guide at the Colosseum when I was just a tourist there and talking mm. about the ravages of uh, the plagues. They didn't have a germ theory then, but they just knew that when the plagues hit, people need to run away from each other. And so everyone would leave town to get away from the sickies. They would leave behind their family members who were sick to die, uh, you know, uh, while they would go out in the countryside. So they they weren't infected yet, to, you know, and they didn't, again, they didn't have all those words and ideas. Well, guess who stayed behind in the city? Were the, were the Christians who took in the sickies, and some of them lived, you were nurtured back to life so that when these families came back in from the countryside to re-inhabit the cities, now they had a new virus, you know, in their family, you know, this, this Jesus thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the second thing they did is, you know, infanticide was wi- widely practiced in the Roman world, uh, particularly girl babies. I mean, if you were born a girl, I mean, you just, you were, I mean, that you weren't very valued mm-hmm. at all. And so, you know, so many girl babies were killed, just put out on the doorsteps, uh, you know, for dogs or, or animals or, or the cold to take care of, whatever. Well, guess who went around collecting up girl babies? You know, it was the early church who took them in. Well, a generation later, when all these Roman men are looking for wives, guess what? All these women that, you know, are available for have been raised in the church, by the church, and, you know, and, and are Jesus followers. And so, I mean, this is, this is how the early church, it, they, didn't, they didn't get together and, and say, we're going to win by having great church services or by being able to offer the, the best youth ministry in town. I mean, they were the ministry to look after the town. Uh, in, in sometimes the most um, sacrificial, uh, sacrifice, sacrificial way <laughs> and loving way that's, that was hardly imaginable. And they were willing to put themselves out. And that's what gained the church its ascendancy in the Roman world. And that's right, what yeah, church's movement looks like. That's, that's just so inspiring. I am really enjoying hearing you say this. Again, uh, Rodney Stark is a great modern church historian who actually overturned some of the earlier church historians who, like Philip Schaff, if you read Philip Schaff on the early church, one of the things you get, a, get the impression of is that the early church was a rural movement of, of folks in, in rural and country areas. But when, once you, when, when you read Rodney Stark, he re-identifies the fact that the Apostle Paul thought Absolutely. strategically about taking the gospel to cities. And that uh, city after city, whether it was Corinth or Philippi or Rome itself, uh, Paul was thinking about how do I get to the cities that influence whole regions because the countryside doesn't influence the city. The city influences the country. Exactly. And, uh, and Paul was an urban guy. Exactly. He, he was an urban guy. And the second thing I want to mention, and, and this maybe translates the gospel to today a little bit, as many of you know, uh, you know who are listening, that uh, China, uh, from the communist revolution onward to control population, had a one-child policy. And uh, who, do you believe, who do you think it was that began saying yeah. that one child will be the first child who's born? And if it's a girl, it's a girl. And, uh, and as I traveled with Ray Bakke, um, uh, into China, I, I learned that, that the Christians are, are today 
many of the families that have girls and there's an overpopulation of men in this generation and and through the women the gospel is being propagated in families throughout china and, and so, that's interesting because not only uh it reminds me of a chinese student that i had in one of my doctoral courses who uh asked me um during a break she said um you know this thing about she said how do you how do you think about you know marrying unbelievers you know and we hear that a lot in evangelical uh you know don't be unequally yoked and and she was talking and so i thought she was going down that line of thinking so i said to her oh well if the early christians had only married other christians we could have kept the movement pretty small you know uh but she she stopped me and correct me she says no i'm talking about we think marrying unbelievers is a strategy for evangelization <laughs> and it's completely is. different from what we have taught here i don't i don't want po- folks to take this out of context and they'll say you know you can't marry another christian and be a faithful jesus follower you got to find a pagan or whatever but again it just shows a a, a church-centric mentality versus a kingdom-focused, kingdom-centric way of looking at the world. You know, the, another telltale sign of kingdom, and this may be taking us, I want to come back to one practical thing for church leaders who might be listening, but the truth is uh, so much of a church-centric thinking leads to monoculturalism. Uh, and, you know, that you can only be a part of us if you think like us, believe like us, vote like us, dress like us, talk like us, you know all that you know us versus them you know the original sin it was the it was the pharisees who were the radical monoculturalists of jesus day mm. who mm. he took on head on because the kingdom is not monocultural i mean the kingdom celebrates uh you know uh diversity it celebrates life in all of its expressions uh, the life that God intended. I mean, just look when when we catch those glimpses into heaven that John's talking about. I mean, you know, it's not accidental that he takes great pain to let us know every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every, I mean, you know, every ethnicity. I mean, because the kingdom, because life can't be stopped. I mean, this is, sounds like Jurassic mm-hmm. Park now. Life mm-hmm. can find a way. But I mean, you know, that is the truth. That, that's how. Fast. Well, now, and, and yeah, Reggie, when you talk when you talk about this, um, from about the 19, well, maybe longer, but uh, certainly with the church growth movement in the 1960s, there was a lot of teaching about the homogeneous unit principle, and uh, you want to build your church near a highway, and you want to make sure that people of a similar ethnicity come to that church if you want to grow it. Um, is that a kingdom thought? That's a capitulation to marketing. That's what that is. That has nothing to do with, no, it's not a kingdom thought. It is I a agree. marketing. I it agree. is a marketing consumerist. <laughs> it is a consumerist notion that we've got to go find everybody who wants to consume what we have to offer, and we've, we've reduced Jesus to you know, religious goods and services uh, that we provide at our place, and so let's go get them all. That you know, but this is, but you know, 
But this whole kingdom thing is why every local congregation has got to think outside its own agenda and be looking for other church leaders who get it, who understand that we're supposed to be together. I know we can't all meet in one place. Well, I'm not arguing for that. I'm not even arguing that we do away with denominations, all that stuff. Tribalism is a part of who we are. But, my goodness, let's at least agree that our main mission is for, that binds us together in the John 17. The reason for unity is not for unity's sake. It's for the mission's sake. And that is we're supposed to be expanding and improving life in our community. So let's figure out how we can join with each other to do that, to influence the schools, to look after the loss of the least, to, to, to address food uh, you know, challenges and, and, and literacy issues and human trafficking and, and, and whatever else uh, there is. You know, uh, job, job opportunities so people can have more uh, fulfilling lives. It seems to me we treat that as second-mile stuff after we get all of our church stuff done, when the truth is that ought to be the first priority, and if we have anything left over, then let's have Sunday school and have some great uh, worship services. I mean, our our job is to figure out how to cooperate with other Jesus followers in our community for the good of the community. So how, how does a, a local congregation uh, begin to reorient the way it evaluates it's pastor um, when it comes to the kingdom. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, this is a, a way bigger topic than a, a single comment on Well, maybe we'll need to get to that in another one. But, well, but no, it strikes I, but me I, I, that, that, that this is a critical issue because oh, if absolutely. the pastor is always being evaluated on the basis of the church growth movement, um, yes. then, uh, then it may be that we miss the mark with the kingdom, Reggie. No question. The competency set to deliver church to consumers and what gets celebrated in that context is a different set of of uh, items, elements than the you know the, the the church pastor who's thinking about how am I always helping people to think about their lives think about the lives of their neighbors, figure out ways that they can live their life as mission trips, and how can we as a group make an impact on our community. So then you're, now you're into collaboration, uh, you know, uh, all, all, a, a whole different set of competencies. I, I would say because, uh, you know, probably listeners might be left, with, well, I'm in a church, so how do I get started? I will tell you that every single congregation I've worked with over uh, decades now, when uh, when we get them to begin to look outside their their church agenda and think about ways to bless, whether it's engagement with the school or whatever, by without without exception, once they get engaged in other stuff beyond church programming, they start getting pulled into a world where they realize a couple of things. One is that a lot of what they're doing at church is irrelevant, you know, to to these folks. So, you know, uh, maybe we can begin to pay more attention to other things. But even more importantly, for the sake of what we're talking about here at Good Cities, they realize we can't do this by ourselves. Well, guess what? That's exactly what the conclusion God wants you to come to. 
We can't do this by ourselves, our one congregation. I don't care if you've got 10,000 people. You're looking at stuff that's too big for you by yourself that forces you out to play. It forces you to call out for other uh, church leaders and church people uh, who get it to join with you in the efforts to build a better city, a better community. That's all i got to say, Glenn. <laughs> well, I think you've said quite a bit, Reggie. And I, and I think what everyone needs to hear is that Reggie and I stand ready to help you. We're Absolutely. here to serve and to help you better represent the kingdom of God in your community as you seek to work together with others. And one of the things we've done over the last 20 years in our own lives and ministries is we've made it a point to become experts at helping leaders learn how to collaborate, leaders who've never collaborated before. So if, if you're listening to this and you're saying, man, I'd like to change the model. I'd like to see that model change in our community so that we're not just pastoring our church any longer. We're pastoring the people of our city or community. And, uh, and that happens through the ways we equip people to live out their witness at home, at work, and in places they serve. And, uh, and Reggie and I stand ready to help. All you need to do is email me at glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at goodcities.net, and I'll connect you with either Reggie or myself, and we'll, uh, we'll begin to help you think through what it's going to take to serve your community in kingdom-focused ways. Thanks so much, Reggie, for this time. Look forward to yep. our next podcast together. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net. 